When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about Big Randy's game for a minute. You know the little bump shots he hits from just off the green? That hybrid might seem like an obvious idea now. Who wouldn't want the best parts of a long iron and a fairway wood mixed together? But before the first hybrid clubs went on the market 20 years ago, somebody had to invent that. And that's what Cooper has done with its new Discoverer Rugged Trek truck tire. Combining the improved grip and aggressive look of an off-road tire with a smooth, quiet ride of a road tire. The Rugged Trek is a hybrid that gives you the best of both worlds. It's an invention so good that in another 20 years, it'll just seem so obvious. All Cooper tires are backed by a limited warranty, a 45-day test drive warranty, and select products are backed by Treadwear Mileage Warranty, helping to give you confidence on the road. For complete product and warranty details, please visit www.coopertires.com or www.coopertires.ca. And remember, go with the Coopers. Solly here with part two of my debrief of the England golf trip I made with my dad last month. Uh, if you happen to have missed part one, I covered the Lynx courses that we played on the trip in the northwest part of the country that included Formby Ladies, Hillside, West Lancashire, Formby, Southport and Ainsdale, Royal Lytham, and Royal Burkdale. Also, if you happen to have missed that episode, we're going to follow the same format in this one. It is a solo podcast about my golf trip to England, and to some of you that is, for some reason, appealing and interesting, but to those of you that it's not, if that's not what you tune into our podcast for, that is totally understandable. I kindly recommend that you uh, check out some of our other episodes or crack on to your uh, other favorite podcasts, but that's, uh, that's what this one's going to entail. I know there were at least a fair amount of British people that had requested that uh, I do a podcast on this and uh, figured it would be uh, a good thing to cover, good thing to have in our archives, and a uh, good thing to... It's evergreen. You can kind of listen to this one whenever you want to, or if you're planning a trip or have been here, and uh, it's, you know, I, half the half the questions we get about these podcasts are about people planning trips, and the other half are, you know, we I went here, I played here, I'd love to hear what you thought of it, and uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't believe this boondoggle that we have convinced people that uh, to, to listen to what our vacations are like, but here we are. And uh, it was a really, really, really special leg of the trip. I've played a ton of Lynx golf in my life in the last five years or so, but have not played that much Heathland golf. I got a taste of it um, at the end of the super long trip that I did in the summer of 2017 before I moved home, before I started doing uh, No Laying Up full time. I was pretty beaten down at that point, um, just in, in being on the road for about 40 days. I didn't fully appreciate it. I had swung by uh, Sunningdale, the old and the new, Walton Heath, the old course, and St. George's Hill uh, there in London, my last three days. And I was kind of ready to get home at that point, I know. And I probably didn't fully appreciate it as much uh, as I did this time around because I walked away thinking Heathland Golf might be my favorite of all of them. Um, even as much as I've you know raved about Lynx Golf in this podcast for years and years, uh, Heathland just has a, a different different taste to it, a different... Uh, I don't know, just a different aura around it. Different, it's more settling feeling, I think, and than uh, than playing a Lynx course. And I'm going to talk some of that. Talk about some of that uh, here over the next probably less than an hour. But 
Um, again, it's at the scene. My dad and I spent 10 days in England playing golf. It's a country that I feel like I've just started to scratch the surface on experiencing uh, the best courses the country has to offer. It's just an endless, endless array. And this this little leg of it is what really helped uncover that a couple courses. Um, actually, it was really the Berkshire that really made me think like, whoa, okay, this is the course that I kind of had only heard about a little bit, didn't really know anything about. And this is the level of golf that we're talking about, man. Like you could post up in one location in London for a month and not run out of golf courses to play. So one thing uh, I've always done, and I do this for golf courses and for just places in general. Let's say like I see uh, somebody's Instagram post of some place that I, I'm like, whoa, where is that? I would love to love to see that. I just go take, go find it on my Google Maps and I just star it. I just put a star there and I think, hey, if I'm ever you know in this area of the world, wherever it might be, I mean, I've got stars in really, really random places of in parts of the world I've never been within 3,000 miles of probably. But uh, just said, hey, if I'm ever here, I would love to go see this. And I do that a lot with golf courses. So I'll go, uh, you know, look at top lists or look at people's pictures or, you know, hear about a place and, and get a recommendation from somebody that says, hey, if you ever are in this area, play this course. And even if I don't have plans to be there, just star it. Just put a star on there. And uh, it, 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 again, it kind of looks silly. My Google Maps probably looks like I've, been absolutely everywhere, but mostly just places that I want to go. And I'm, I'm far, far, far from having this wish list complete. But whenever I'm in a certain region or making a certain drive and, and I see a star that's like somewhat within earshot, sometimes I'm able to make it up there or tack on a day to a trip and visit there. And there's maybe no better example than this than in, in 2017 on that trip uh, between the Scottish Open and the UK British Open presented by Her Majesty. Uh, I was in a rental car with Chad Coleman from Callaway from Western Scotland. We were at the Scottish Open. And we were driving down to Northwest England to go to Burkdale for the Jordan Spieth Invitational. And I see the the star on the map near the uh, England and Scotland border. Clicked on it. I'm like, what the hell is this course? It's called Siloth on Solway. It's in the northwest tip of England. It's near, right near the border. I, when I put that on there, I couldn't have imagined why I would ever be in that part of uh, Scotland or England. And we, I told Chad, I was like, look, I got this kind of course along the way. It's a four-hour drive down there. What if we detoured and played? You know, it's maybe about halfway. I, I kind of lied to him. It was way more out of the way than, uh, than I had uh, insinuated. What if we did a little detour and played here this afternoon? And I just remember rolling up to that course. It's a day that he and I still talk about. It's this remote little golf course, like a true, true hidden gem of yesteryear. Just crazy blind shots and uh, awesome routing by the sea and crazy wind up there and it just one it was one of my most fond golfing memories we rolled up to it and chad was just like is this is this place perfect like we just had the amazing summer evening and if i had never started that course on a map i would have never thought to visit there um just as we passed by so i encourage you to do this anywhere in the u.s the uk any even if you have no plans to be anywhere just star someplace that you'd like to see golf or non-golf and uh and and see you know if you're ever in that area to see if you can make it happen if it's if you're in a couple a couple hours earshot it might be worth it. So the reason I'm emphasizing this now is that the first Heathland course we played on this trip was one of those places, which is Hollandwell. It's also known as Knott's Golf Club. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to talk a bit about what Heathland Golf actually is. I think I was kind of struggling with what this concept was until uh, until I started putting some notes together for it and doing a little research on what actually technically defines it. So this is from BBC Nature. Um, this is a little bit boring, but I promise it's gonna, I'm going to try to at least my best to help bring this all together. Heathlands are lowland areas dominated by colorful heather, gorse, and bracken. Much like moorland, the soils are acidic and nutrient-poor, but unlike the waterlogged moors, heaths have light and sandy soils. So that's a key there. 
Also continuing on, lowland heath occurs mainly in northwest Europe with about 20% of the world's total coverage found in the warmer parts of southern England. That's going to bring us to the area of Surrey. I don't I don't technically know where Surrey begins and ends. I'm probably I'm sure I'll probably get a, get a few messages on that, but I'm just going to consider that whole golfing area to the southwest of London to be Surrey. I think I'm pretty safe in that, but for the purpose of this podcast, let's just call that Surrey. That's where the majority of this trip was spent between my dad and I. And so Heathland Golf it basically is a cross between Lynx Golf and Parkland Golf. It's got all of the characteristics of Lynx without the constant of being right on the sea. And, you know, there's still conditions to deal with. It's still windy on these courses, but in my experience, it's just a little less frequent and a little less extreme. Um, it's the same soil type, but by definition, it's not like a Lynx course because it doesn't technically link the land and the sea. So basically, it's a you know an inland links course. I know people uh, get very particular about the definition of a links. It's most definitely not technically a links, but it plays exactly like one. So hope that makes sense. But these courses are also really really different than links courses. They have way more undulation, land movement to them. There's often significant elevation change from shot to shot and hole to hole, especially the top courses like Sunningdale and St George's Hill. And it just kind of winds through terrain, through trees, might be th- even through houses. It's when I say that it's uh, at least the courses I've played were not necessarily through freshly built housing developments through old neighborhoods and uh, these golf courses were not built to sell houses on kind of typically typical of uh, what we see in the United States. So they have been just filled filled to the absolute brim with charm and it just feels like the most proper golf. Again, I absolutely love when the golf ball's rolling when you're playing in the wind when you got all kinds of things to factor you're hitting irons off tees you're hitting three woods from 175 yards and stuff like that. It's got all of those elements, um, but with even just a little bit more, it's a little warmer and just a little quieter. You know, the wind's not blowing in your ear the whole time. And it just kind of has this whole, it's just class. It's really, really class. And this is why it kind of really resonated with me. The heather itself is different than like what we in the States typically call heather. I mean, I do this too. I tend to call any long grass any long grass that kind of borders a fairway heather, but actual heather is different. It's kind of this thorny, gorsy plant. It's not really even, I don't think it's like technically even grass. And the ball just kind of, it's like a Christmas wreath, basically. Like uh, Usually they, they maintain it and mow it and keep it about maybe a foot high off the ground. But the ball really nestles in it, and you can't do much more than hack a wedge out of it. It's, it's beautiful as it frames the holes. In the summer, it's got like a purple tint to it, but it's ju- it is not fun at all to play out of. The main exercise of a lot of these courses is avoiding the heather because it really is a true one-shot penalty. Maybe once or twice the whole trip I hit it in there and had like the ball sitting up on it and was able to put like a six iron on it. But the rest of the time, it's like, all right, let's get this back in play. I I, I, I should not have been here. I probably should have taken less club off the tee, been more accurate, et cetera. So that is the exercise. It is fun, but I think it, it that's, a, that's a really challenging part for high handicappers, I think, just because uh, they're going to obviously hit more wayward drives. And I, I hit plenty and plenty of balls into it. Uh, so I don't even want to say it was a it was a, a downside for just high handicappers because to me it it does inhibit things a little bit depending on how it's maintained too. I mean, usually you can find your ball in it if you keep a close eye on it, but it sucks. It is not not fun to play out of, and it is a, a really really strong punishment. But a lot of the fairways, a lot of these places are wide, especially with the turf playing as firm as it does. Uh, it's really necessary to have wide fairways. So if you look at a map of great golf courses in England, they're really spread apart. I mean, it's just, you know, I kind of look at the list and think, I'd love to knock as many of these off. But then you look and like, that one's a three-hour drive. That one's four hours to the southwest, et cetera. But the Surrey area just southwest of London is just peppered with greats. And I'm hesitant 
to name courses in the area because I'm inevitably going to leave some out. But Swinley Forest, Sunningdale, both old and new. Walton Heath, both old and new. St. George's Hill, the Berkshire, Woking, uh, Warpleston. No, no chance I'm saying that properly. West Hill, Chobham, Queenwood, Wentworth, none of, uh, Hankley Common. Not all those courses are necessarily equal, and some are better than others, but there's like a very, very real depth to great golf in this area. And, you know, that's something we've talked about when it comes to Scotland. People always ask the differences between Scotland, England, and Ireland. And I, I've always said Scotland and England have incredible, incredible depth in that second tier of golf courses. The ones that, you know, aren't the first ones you list off are so, so, so good. You can park yourself in one place for, you know, in Scotland. And on this trip alone, we played, I played 12 golf courses and stayed in two different hotels. That's how little we had to move because of just how many great places you can go and uh, how much more that allows you to, to enjoy your trip when you're not driving from place to place. Ireland just has a little bit more driving between them. As you're seeing in the current tourist saw season that's airing on our YouTube channel, we had to hire a driver for that one just to kind of get us from place to place that Help the experience a ton, and that is that is part of the experience. But England is just so so easy to do on your own. The roads are wide. I've gotten used to, used enough to driving on the wrong side of the road and the wrong side of the car. It's easy to get around, and it's all very approachable, and none of it's intimidating. Driving around Western Ireland is a bit intimidating with how tight the roads are and, and things like that. But infrastructure is obviously incredible in England, and uh, the the motorways are great. What are they, carriageways? Is that what you guys call them over there? Dual carriageways? I don't, I don't know. I got I still got to work on my British lingo, but. It's just a cornucopia of amazing golf, and and it is amazing, but it also gives me like a bit of anxiety. It's like I got golf anxiety. Let's let's be very relative with that term. It's like going to a restaurant and like you see eight different things on the menu that you want to order, but you can only order one. So like you better make damn sure you choose right. And it's your you know no matter what you you order, you're kind of looking around at other people on the table, being like, oh man, that looks good too. That looks good too. So it's kind of overwhelming. So if you do plan a trip to this area. Make sure you budget a lot of time to get to all the courses you want to because it would be way too easy to schedule three days, just play the top three, and then you're kind of missing out. I've done, I've done this bef- exact thing before. You're kind of missing out on a whole slew of golf courses that I don't even want to call them second tier because they're just so much, so much fun to play. A quick break before we get to the golf courses here for an update from our friends at Callaway, the number one iron brand in golf for the past four straight years and counting. Uh, They continue to bring the smoke. We know that the Apex Irons have been a massive hit this year. In fact, they're the number one selling forged players distance iron in 2019. Well, they are now available in an incredible looking smoke black package. I think Tron's got a set of these. He's got like eight sets of irons, but I'm pretty sure he has. uh, He went through a smoked out, uh, blacked out, murdered out phase. Uh, The stunning smoke PVD finish with a blacked out true temper elevate shaft and a black grip for that murdered out look from top to bottom. And good news for the lefties out there, the Apex Smoke is available in standard Apex, Apex Pro, and combo set in both right and left-handed. So if you want an iron that looks as good as it performs, you need to check out Apex Smoke today. For more photos, details, and specs, visit CallawayGolf.com for more. Back to the pod. The first course on the uh, on the list I mentioned is Hollandwell Golf Club, also known as Knott's. It's just north of Nottingham, northeast of Derby, just south of Mansfield. Um, and this is one of those courses I had starred on my map. And uh, when I saw our driving route from Manchester to London for the second half of the trip, I knew this was a perfect place for a detour. It was listed as one of Doak's gourmet choices in his confidential guide to golf courses, which is kind of like uh, the Bible I use on uh, on guiding myself around uh, the UK and Ireland. It was off the beaten track enough that I felt like I was getting a bit of a sense of adventure, and I I didn't know what to expect. I'd read you know a little two page blurb on it, but 
had no real visualization of it and no idea what to expect. And it turns out Hollandwell low-key got one of the best entrances in golf. And again, we're a couple hours outside of London, so we're not close. To, uh, we're not in the Surrey area yet when I'm when I'm talking about this place. But we've got a long road that leads up to this majestic all old uh, clubhouse, and all of it's really set back from the main road. You have no idea any of this was there unless you were seeking it out. You drive right along the downhill, par four, 18th, finishes right in front of the clubhouse. And if you're looking for any imagery to go with this description, head to our YouTube channel for a crash course video I did on this place. It's got an awesome purple, beautiful heather framing the fairways. Just an awesome vibe. Uh, right off the bat, just an awesome, awesome vibe. I was a bit sheepish on our arrival. I was just, I'd emailed the club and asked to play. We, you know, we paid full green fee, all the fare and everything. I, I like to play with a member when I can, or I like to take somebody up on an invite. And uh, I know a lot of the Lynx courses are used to, vi- to visitors, and they, they're really, really good with hospitality. They know how to greet you, and you automatically feel like you belong. But this far inland and this far from London, I didn't really have any sense as what their visitor traffic was, and I felt like I was actually walking into a private club. Um, and it just felt a little, little uneasy at the very beginning, but that was quickly eliminated. I checked in at the golf shop, and a member stopped me and heard the accent and asked what brought me here with a smile on his face and showed me all around, told me all the information I needed, and it, uh, I did it all with a smile on his face. So it was, that was the hospitality, all the hospitality I needed. From there on out, it was perfect. We, I felt very welcome there. And I'm not going to call this a hidden gem. I'm sure the people of uh, England are very, very familiar with this place. But I, I had never you know, talked to anyone that had been there before. So it felt off the beaten trail for me and uh, gave you a little bit of that sense of adventure, which I, which I really like. And I didn't see a whole lot of other visitors there, which uh, it adds to the allure of, uh, of you know, playing some golf in a foreign country. So the golf course itself laid out by Willie Park Jr. in 1901. It's got these first three holes. They almost look out of place. They're on this one side of the road, um, and then they are the first three holes, then the other 15 sitting on an entirely separate piece of property across the road. I thought the first three were going to be pretty weak. The first is very much just an okay hole, but then the second is one It's one of about six or seven holes that I'm still I, I left thinking about, man. I, I made like a little composite list that I'm not ready to share yet of the, the best holes of the trip or the best, you know, best fourth hole, best fifth hole. And I had a shocking amount of, of holes from Hollandwell. The, the holes here are just so very distinct. Even today, I'm going to say a lot of praising things about Sunningdale and St. George's Hill. But if you ask off the top of my head, what's the 15th hole at St. George's Hill? I couldn't tell you. I could list off every single hole of the back nine of Hollandwell. They're that distinct and that unique. So I promise I won't do that here. But the second hole, dog legs to the left and this green uh, that just sits well below this like almost like a rock quarry dig this huge rock formations behind it and to the left but it's really not that close to the green it's just set back against these long broad slopes and just a really cool setting for the green site really thrilling approach into that green uh, that hole is heavily emphasized on our YouTube video around the 115 mark if you're so inclined to check that out to kind of help put some energy behind it but I enjoyed the third and fourth holes a short par five and a long par four and the rest of the front nine, it's solid. I wouldn't say it's spectacular, but like I said, when you get to the back, it just hits really hard. The 11th is a tremendous short little snaking par five up the hill between these two ridges to an elevated green and a really cool green site. Um, and that, that's kind of the feature hole. The uh, manager, uh, Martin, that we talked to there said it was his favorite hole. Um, and a lot, some of the people I've talked to afterwards, David Cannon actually showed up, the, the photographer. Um, he said the 11th was his favorite hole too, so... The 12th is a long par four, blind tee shot, and a fairway banking to the left, and it ends with a punch bowl green. And then you got the 13th is probably the most picturesque hole. It's a downhill long par three with all kinds of heather on the hills. It's probably the most photogenic hole 
Uh, it really highlights the land movement. And that's the biggest takeaway I have from this place is what makes it special. Again, maybe it was just like the, all the days we spent playing Lynx Golf leading up to it. But the fact that these Heathland courses have so much more land movement and elevation change and what's really, really differentiates them from the Lynx courses just adds a whole other cool element to the challenge and just adds so much depth to it, you know. And that's probably the reason why I'm able to stand here and, you know, sit here and, and, and list back the holes because they just – you can see them so much better from the tee with the elevation changes and they're so well-defined, so – the 15th was my favorite. I think it's the third time at this course that I said that Holland, uh, at Hollandwell that it was one of my favorites, along with 2 and 11, but it's tough to decide between them all. Again, a long par 4, massive land movement in the fairway, and you want to be down the right side so you can have an angle to this huge, like, I don't know if it's safe to call them dunes. I know it's I know it's sandy soil, but I don't know if it's technically dunes under there. It's just these big grass hills that protects the protects the left side. It sits at the bottom of this amphitheater, and, and you can't really use it to kick your ball onto the green, but... It's all long grass, but it's a proper, just proper ass par four. Sixteenth is a cool short par four, dogleging to the right. And I know I'm getting, I'm getting boring with the details here, but they are really this distinct in my mind. I don't, I don't want to gloss over any of these holes too. Seventeenth, a short par five, bending to the left with a massive undulating punch bowl type green, and then eighteen down the hill to just this stunning clubhouse. Again, my head was just spinning walking off that green after that finish. I kind of had to pick and choose which rounds I was going to actually film and make uh, make videos on. I'm really glad I picked this one because this one just resonated with me. And uh, again, my, maybe just because it was a kickoff to such a great kind of uh, weekend of Heathland Golf. As I mentioned, we ran into Getty photographer David Cannon. He was taking some pictures for Lynx Magazine. And he was telling me stories of playing amateur events there in the 70s. And we just had a great chat in the clubhouse afterwards. And the affinity he had for the place really kind of drove it home to me that I was really lucky to be there on that day. My dad really loved the course, which helped me enjoy it as well. I mean, just seeing the smile on his face, and it was just a special day. I know I I think this place is totally worth a detour. I know Woodhall Spa is close. I didn't regrettably didn't get to make it there, but if you're looking for more of a reason to head to this area and maybe stay overnight, there's always that. But this I couldn't recommend this place high enough. I would I'm dying to get back there, and if we do end up doing a Heathland uh, tour of sauce, I'm going to uh, insist that this place is near the top of the list. Uh, green fees, they're great. They range from 110 pounds to 130 pounds in the summer, decreasing some in the off-season, um, which is pretty reasonable, especially compared to uh, the rest of the courses that we're going to talk about, uh, the Heathland courses here on this trip. Next stop was uh, near London, so we made the drive into London, uh, to kind of stayed in the Woking area um, Made it after, that night after playing at Hollandwell. First course up was Walton Heath. It's kind of a funny story. I ran into a nice gentleman when my uh, fiance and I were in Amsterdam in the lobby of a hotel. I was actually in the wrong hotel. I was not supposed to be in that hotel. And he's like, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? And I thought it was maybe somebody that I knew from Amsterdam when I lived there. And I, I didn't really know what to say to him. I was like, I, I don't know, man. I'm in the wrong hotel. Like, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, like, no, I recognize you from no laying up. Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, actually, we're on vacation, blah, blah, blah. And, He's like, yeah, I live in England. I played a club called Walton Heath. I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've heard of Walton Heath, but and he's like, if, if you're ever over, I'd love to host. I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but I'm coming next month with my dad, and uh, we haven't really lined up much golf yet, to be honest. I was kind of late putting this whole trip together. And he's like, let's do it. Let's. That's great. It was a pretty serendipitous moment, but it turns out he wasn't able to play while we were there, but he set us up with the club you know, and arranged for like a, a tour for us. And my dad and I went out and had just another fantastic day. Walton Heath. The old course there, there's two courses, uh, which is a relative term because the old and the new. The old opened in 1903 and the new in 1907. Uh, we'll get to some of that here in a second. They hosted the British Masters in 2018. Eddie Pepperell won there in dramatic fashion. It 
got a really different landscape than the rest of the Heathland courses we played. Again, we're back in this southwest of London area, the Surrey area that's kind of this mecca of golf that I mentioned at the top of the show. So the clubhouse kind of sits opposite of this busy road and from the main part of the course. And the the old course, it's kind of weird. It has one hole, a long par three that sits you know on that side of the road. And then you cross over and there's 35 holes on the other side. So there's the 17 remaining ones on the old course and uh, all 18 on the new course. Actually, when they have the British Masters there, they skip that first hole and play the second hole as number one. And then I think they play um, from the third tee to the fourth green, actually, for one of the holes. And then they add two holes from the new course uh, to make a, a composite routing, if you will. It, it's kind of quirky, that first hole. It's almost like a warm-up hole. Uh, it's a bit bizarre, but it's kind of that's that weird quirk you're looking for from an old golf club. I embrace it. And I've, I've been on record now that I'm actually, I actually really enjoy starting with a par three. I think, you know, a lot of people are afraid to hit an iron off the first year or kind of don't want to feel like they needed more of a warm up before that. But I view that as a warm up. I think that's a great way to kind of get into your round. So Walton Heath, steeped in history. Winston Churchill regularly played here. King Edward VIII was the first captain. And again, as I mentioned, the term old and new courses are very relative. They're both from the early 1900s. Uh, the old was all we played on this trip. I actually never played the new course. Uh, it was designed by Herbert Fowler. James Braid was one of the first professionals here. We have pictures all over the clubhouse of all the royal people that have played here over the years. And uh, it's a very highly ranked course, highly regarded. It's the 10th ranked course in England. It might, 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 might be slightly overrated, if you ask me. I, honestly, that's not a knock on the golf course in any way. It just doesn't have the topography of some of the other Heathland courses I mentioned. And that's kind of where, personally, for me, that's what sets, like, Sunningdale and St. George's Hill to a different level. I don't know if I can say that most people would disagree with me on that, but I know this place is really, really held in high regard by a lot of people. This is not a backhanded compliment in any way. The golf course is fantastic. I just would, you know, if I'm separating really, really, really good from great is the fact that it's just kind of, it's a basically one big field full of golf holes and they're great golf holes. And I, I don't, I, it's kind of, that is the nitpickiest of nitpickiest comments I guess I could make. But I kind of, when I get to a certain point of, you know, kind of ranking these courses, I want you to understand where I'm coming from on that. The start is fantastic. Once you clear that first hole, there's a really, really great stretch of golf holes. It actually feels like more at the beginning of the round once you cross the busy road uh, and start with the second. You know, it, the, the second is where you, you drive, it's long par four, you drive into this gully and hit back up with this walking path and a forest framing the left side. And, uh, you're, you know, you, the fairway really narrows there near the gully and you got to decide how much you want to take off. The heather is immediately introduced on both sides, but plenty of wide fairways. Third's a great little drivable par four, huge bunker in front, protecting the right half. Turf is playing really firm, and the wind's going out on this part for us. So you could you could get there with a driving iron, basically, which proved, it proved to be a very uh, effective weapon in London. Shout out to the Callaway Epic Forged uh, four iron that they bent to a two iron for me for some reason. I still don't understand why, but it's a great club. And then you have the fourth. Fourth is a 460-yard par four. I think I hit five iron off the tee it was downwind and there's heather framing both sides of the fairway and uh, we've already talked about how you have to have to have to avoid that stuff and there's a centerline bunker about 260 yards out so driver over it with the downwind was very possible but i looked at it i was like i don't know how to stop it once it goes over the bunker and it kind of bends to the right past the bunker anything more than that five iron i think it was going to be able to reach the bunker because of how firm it was playing and the important thing to remember about what I've tried to learn about playing downwind holes on firm turf is that it's okay to hit a crazy kind of mid iron off the tee and leave yourself a longer second because the wind is going to be helping you on your second shot as well. So 
on this occasion, I think I left myself 215 in, which I on a par four, I would be doing all that I can to avoid having 215 in. But I was like the first cutter rough, and I had eight iron in from there. And you can land it, you know, well short of the green. It's going to bounce up. It's going to roll forward. It made it onto the front of the green. It took me a long, long, long time to have that much discipline playing that style of golf. So it was super rewarding. That hole is one that sticks out to me just because it was very memorable to have executed that, you know, to not bite off more than I can chew. And the courses that make you think like that are my absolute favorite. So fifth, another cool shortish par four, at least it was playing short, really good land movement that comes down the hill to, to the left into a really cool green. Some of the holes that end up kind of past this near the turn have been redone as a freeway was built near the edge of the land. And around this part, the course loses a bit of steam, but it finishes really strong. The 11th is a great par three. And then three par fives and four holes. I think it's 13, 14, and 16. Each one very different from the one before. Uh, the 17th is a really cool par three going back out a little bit. And then 18 coming back, uh, finishing right near the hedge row there across from the busy road. Awesome, great 19th hole. A patio to have a beer. Look out at the... Uh, huge and perfect putting green 18 full holes on this putting green probably legitimately one of the best putting greens i've ever seen that would make me want to practice putting just out there on that perfect surface right in the shadow of that clubhouse place just has it's got soul it's got character again my only knock on it was strictly in comparison to the landscape of the other clubs that we'll talk about soon for my personal taste it it is secondary to sunningdale and st george's hill for that reason but it is a wonderful, wonderful place. I'd love to visit again. From the looks of things, my next trip to London is going to have to include some new places because this is where it just gets out of control and there's literally not enough time in the day to play them all. Uh, the green fees for a visitor range from 90 to 215 pounds in the peak season, but you can play both courses for 285 pounds. That seems well worth it if you ask me. Prices dip between 95 and 125 pounds in the non-peak season. I've not played the new, so I don't want to speak... Uh, too far out of turn, I guess, on this one, but I think there is a distinctive difference between the old and the new as far as ratings go. I know we're going to get to Sunningdale here in a second. There is a bit of a debate out there as to which one's better, the old or the new, which one do you prefer? Almost, I don't want to say overwhelmingly, but most people do prefer the old over the new at Walton Heath. Uh, Again, I haven't played the new, so I don't want to speak any more of that, but uh, I would imagine it's definitely worth it. It's the same piece of land. It's got really cool golf holes from what I've peeked over at, Um, but from, from, again, from what I've gathered, it's just not, doesn't quite hold up to the old course, but Next up is Sunningdale. It is the crown jewel of golf in London, in Surrey, or however you want to define it. Played here a couple years ago with Farron Keenan, a former uh, former top amateur player. He played at the University of Texas. He's won all kinds of tournaments around England. Some of the courses I went to, I saw his name up on the wall. A couple years ago, we played both the old and the new. It all happened so fast, I don't think I was able to fully appreciate Sunningdale for what it was. It was literally the last day of a 38- or 39-day trip. We had to jump around and play some holes out of order. It was just a lot. I, I couldn't distinguish between the two courses. This time around, we played 18 holes at the old course. And again, like I said, there's a decent debate as to which is superior. Top players, or better players usually probably prefer the new course. It's just a little longer, a little tighter, a little bit more challenging. But at Sunningdale, everyone says, and I agree, you can't miss either course. Like You have to play them both. And I know we didn't get to on this trip. But it, the old is just kind of like, it's like playing in a little bit of a time capsule. It's not long. They've stretched it out some, but they seem totally content to be like, hey, here it is. It's not crazy difficult. Enjoy your day. This is a wonderful golf course. Uh, Willie Park Jr. designed the old course. Harry Colt did the new. Another insane just one-two punch. It's pretty much seen as the gold standard of Heathland courses, and it's very easy to understand why. Everywhere we went, it seems like it's the club that everyone else mentioned. You know, you go to 
this course and they're talking about Sunningdale. Go to this course, they're talking about Sunningdale. We had a kind of similar experience uh, in Melbourne around uh, every, every, all the other golf courses compared themselves to Royal Melbourne. Hey, here's what we have that Royal Melbourne doesn't. Here's blah, blah, blah. But Royal Melbourne here, that's how it kind of was with Sunningdale. I don't want to, I don't want to call it a complex, but everyone, it's the tip of everyone's tongue there in the area, you know, comparing themselves to Sunningdale. We've well, got this and Sunningdale doesn't blah, blah, blah. But, and I think there's a reason for that. It's, it is highly ranked. I think it, uh, top 100 courses ranks uh, the old course as the second best course in England and the new as the fourth. So that's literally probably as good of a 36-hole day as you could have in England. Uh, the old is also the 28th ranked course in the world per top100courses.com. So just a, it's just on a different level. It feels grand, and it's just a nearly perfect venue for golf. Uh, some highlight holes to me, the second long par four follows a short par five opener. Basically, there are two par four and a halves to start. You got a drivable par four third, and then the par fours from five to seven are especially good. The seventh is totally blind tee shot over a big hill, but like most blind shots, the landing area, generous, wide, runs downhill, and the second shot, especially dramatic, back up to back up the hill to a wonderful green site. The ninth, I, I really enjoy the ninth, uh, not just because I birdied it, but it is a 265-yard par four, just a great, great little hole. Again, it's not difficult. It's a par three and a half at most, but it's it's challenging. There's two bunkers in front of the green you need to avoid. And depending where the pin is, it might even be smart to lay it up short of the bunkers and sit back pretty far from the actual green because uh, the bunkers are not really greenside. They are they kind of stop like a 230 shot. If you bomb it over them, you know, you might run over the green. So you kind of kind of thread them. It, it's, it's really cool. On their website, they've got a, a, a Shell's Wonderful World of Golf where uh, Greg Norman and Nick Faldo played it. And I watched Faldo just make a mess of it, just hit it in, the, in one of the bunkers and then played his bunker shot over the green. And there's a ton of different ways to play it. And that's what this course does so well. There's a lot of variety. There's some meaty, meaty par fours. The 10th is one of them. Magnificent downhill par four. Coming back up to the green to one of the coolest uh, halfway houses in golf. Both the old and the new courses cross over there. And uh, the sausage sandwich in there is legendary. It's one of those things that you go to a – you go to a pretty famous course. People love to ask, "Hey, did you have the so and so food there?" Is the, the seems to be the main takeaway people have. But it was got a couple of messages like, "Hey, how was the sausage sandwich at the turn?" Sometimes I feel like the food items can be overhyped, but it really it really was that good. The eleventh, another gem of a short par four. Um, just the course just weaves through these tremendous and classic houses and ends coming back up the hill to the storied clubhouse and with a big clock in front. It's it's just awesome. I don't have much more to expand on the course other than it just blends so well with the landscape and the trees, and it just feels like this is, this is just how golf is supposed to be. It doesn't beat you up, and you're just anxious to head out for more. And I guess that's probably why there's 36 holes. Uh, it's another great hang in the clubhouse, great patio, a place I could easily, easily play every day. ton of variety, like I mentioned, and uh, it's just a special place. I'd, I'd love to go back there. Uh, Farron was great company as well and uh, made us all feel really welcome and uh, really cool, fun membership there. It seems to be, we hung with some of the members there in the clubhouse afterward, the price for visitors, it is 230 pounds for each of the courses or 360 to play them both on the same day. That's how I would do it. If I was you, um, because both courses are worth it and uh, you get a pretty, pretty hefty discount there. It's basically half off or almost exactly half off uh, your second round of the day. Almost. I can't, I'm not very good at math. That's it for Sunningdale. Moving on, um, I've heard of this next place before. I'd always read it wrong. It is spelled how Americans would say Berkshire, but it's actually pronounced Berkshire. Um, I had to. <laughs> I wasn't sure we were actually talking about the same course when uh, I was talking about with Jeff Harris when we were up in the northwest part. 
And I was like, Berk- Berkshire? Is it the same as Berkshire? Yeah, the red and the blue. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. The Brits won out on this one. It's pronounced Berkshire. And I talked a lot about expectations of golf courses in the previous episode, how it, how much it helped to have zero of them. And coming into the Berkshire, I had absolutely zero. I'd never even seen a picture of it until TK Kelly, the pro here in the United States. He was over there for European Tour Q School. He had posted one from the day before. And uh, there's two courses there, the red and the blue. And a gentleman on Instagram was nice enough to reach out, set me up uh, to play with the club captain there on a Saturday morning, which was a really, really cool experience. You could see the passion he had for the place. And one of the highlights is right off the bat, six par five, six par four, six par threes. Only a handful of courses I've ever played that have that format. It is decidedly more fun to have that many par fives to go after and that many more guaranteed approach shots, you know, meaning par threes. Like if you're not driving it well, it's nice to be able to put an iron on a tee and still hit approach shots. That said, par threes there were extremely demanding. The par fives, were, they're not really long on the card. And they, you, you look at them and they jump out at 487, 485, like, oh, this, this is gettable. But they really do play as par fives. It wasn't just like whale on driver and hit seven iron in there. And sometimes you needed less than driver off the tee to stay out of trouble and run outs. And I, I found myself hitting three woods at a lot of the par fives, and I did not play them very well. I did not think I probably would adjust my strategy on them a little bit. But it wasn't just like, you know, driver seven iron, driver eight irons into par fives. It was it was a proper challenge. And they really, all of them but one of them really felt like a par five. Um, and about six holes into it, I'm like, I was realizing, like, this course, this place reminds me of somewhere. Somewhere in the States. I can't think of it. Fairways are really wide. They're immaculately maintained. They had this kind of unique bend to them that you didn't want to just pound driver because of where they bent and the runouts because it was playing firm just like it was on, on the rest of the Heathland courses. But if you hit anything too hot, it's going to roll into this gnarly heather. But uh, you can't pound it. You have to be precise, even if it is wide. And around the sixth hole, it hit me. It's like, this is Pinehurst number two. I'm sure you guys have heard me rave as my favorite course to play in the U.S. So it was no surprise that I was smitten by the Berkshire. Uh, Herbert Fowler design on the red, which I played as the 22nd best ranked course per top 100 golf courses. It's just a serene place. I mean, the trees frame the course really well, but they're, they're all set back comfortably far back from the line of play. They're not in the way. And for such like a golf rich area, I think a club needs something unique that makes your course stand out. And the arrangement of holes between the six fives and threes, it did that for me. It's a tremendous variety. That sixth hole was a really cool dog leg to the right par four. It's only about 360. So even with a long iron off the tee, I had to cut off some of the dog leg and it plays up to this kind of upside down bowl green. Again, similar to Pinehurst, but not just not nearly as dramatic. I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm overstating its similarity. It's more from the tee shots, the way the tee shots played. The greens are not necessarily upside down bowls like they are at Pinehurst, but the tee shots are the way they ran into the heather are kind of similar the way uh, the fairways run into the, um, to the wire grass and the waste areas out there. Number 10, especially awesome par three, big hero carry. It took me pretty big five iron to reach the back of that green over this big ravine that you got to carry. Uh, my driving iron just got to work out on this course. It was the club I needed on some of the shorter fours off the tee, even some of the par threes and trying to hit into the par fives. And the scoring opportunities are abundant. And I just, I walked off with just a big smile on my face. And I, I hope it doesn't make it sound gimmicky. Just, you know, the setup with the six par fives and the six threes. It's really not. I mean, it's rated up there as far as the Waltons and the Sunningdales, but Honestly, like if it came down to it and I had to split 10 rounds between the Walton Old Course and the Berkshire, I would do 6-4 in favor of the Berkshire just because the variety I mentioned. It's just the setting it's played, the dramatic landscape. That all really resonated with me. And it it gives you, like I said, it gives you the scoring opportunities. And 
it just this, this is the place that hit me as far as the depth of golf in this part of the world. And I know, again, like I said at the top, Scotland's got it, but England just has it in spades. And I really do recommend it. I'd have a hard time slotting it necessarily above or below any courses in particular, just because that's that's personal taste. Uh, but I have a hard time seeing how somebody doesn't have a ton of fun at the Berkshire. It's uh, it's kind of a catch-all word for a golf course, and I, I hate using it because it's you know what is a fun? What does it mean to have fun on a golf course? But it just felt like I was was out there having more fun than I was playing golf. I have no idea if that makes sense, but again, walked off with a big smile on my face. Definitely recommend it. We will definitely be back if we do, uh, whenever we do make it over for a Taurus sauce. Price range between 155 and 205 pounds, depending on the day of the week. Uh, so it's not a cheap ticket. It's not a, you're not paying a secondary price and it's not a secondary golf course. So this is the one that really made me be like, okay, well, shit, now I got to see Woking. Now I got to see this one. And I know somebody mentioned this one and I kind of dismissed it, but that was my mistake. I should not be really dismissing any of the courses in this area, if this is the one that isn't at the top of people's, you know, the, the few, first few courses they list off, this one's not usually one of them. And if this is how good it is, then, uh, then yeah, th- there's nothing that shouldn't be uncovered in this part of the world. Last one, last round of the trip, and it went out with an absolute bang. I, I want to put a disclaimer on everything I'm about to say about St. George's Hill and that we got... 70 degree weather, perfect sun as it's setting, my favorite time of the day to play golf. Uh, I was again invited on Instagram by a couple gentlemen to come out and play, two guys in their late 20s. They're about as good a company as you could have on the golf course. That definitely added to the experience. The weather added to the experience. I played well. So I just walked off, you know, with the highest, highest, highest possible uh, opinion of St. George's Hill. Had seen it once before. But I'm willing to say it, and again, despite all the disclaimer, it's my favorite of all the courses I played in Surrey. If I had 10 rounds between Sunningdale Old and St. George's Hill, I would split them 5 and 5. But if I had 11, I would go St. George's Hill 6 and Sunningdale 5. They don't get much closer. Again, it's probably an overreaction to the night we had. But what a hell of a walk. It just punches, man. I loved it. The clubhouse is like a it's like a fortified castle. It just sits dominantly at the top of the hill, overlooking the whole course. There's three nines there, but the red and the blue nines are the main course. The red is the front and the blue is the back. For this, the purpose of this episode, when I list a whole number, we're gonna call the blue the back nine. Uh, the green is kind of an added third nine. It's a little less than three thousand yards. And I've I played a few of the holes a couple years ago, but it's not really part of the main routing. So The front nine hits just extremely hard from the beginning. First hole set right under the big clubhouse, and you tee off down a big hill. The landing area is actually headed back up the hill. Fairway's wide, and the green just sits in this great little place on top of the hill, and uh, you know you're just in for kind of a grand experience there. The second long downhill par four takes two big hits to get to a really severely sloped green, really difficult hole. Then you got a long downhill par three third. Again, another just picturesque golf hole. And then the highlight of the front, 272-yard par four. It's a brief little respite from a really challenging start. Three bunkers in front of the green against downhill. Your boy happened to make a two on that one, so that was the highlight of my day, to say the least. That four-hole stretch is just phenomenal, and uh, I'm not going to do every hole, but those holes are really that good. It's the most dramatic setting of any of the courses. The bunker edges really rise up out of the fairways, and uh, the fairways are really wide at times. Greens are big. And of course, there's the heather that surrounds the fairways. But eighth, awesome par three over a big ravine. And then the ninth goes back uphill dramatically to the clubhouse. I actually played to the wrong green. I actually only played to the 18th green on that one. But uh, so make sure you, if you do go there, make sure you play to the right green. 
The 10th is one of the wildest holes we played on the trip. Long par four. It's way downhill. You actually got to look at a mirror behind you on the tee box to see if the fairway is cleared. On this day, we had a little helping wind, and you couldn't really hit driver because the fairway really narrows up there. And it's a wild, blind second shot around kind of this big mound to a dramatically shaped green. There's a big run-up area short left of the green, so you can use that to get chase your ball back to the hole. And you look back at this hole, and you're just like, whoa, I don't think I've seen anything like this before. Uh, it's awesome. I still I still think about that hole a lot. When, I, when you say St. George's Hill, I think of the 10th hole. And the 11th is this great little par 3 danger all over, and it's kind of got this big elevated green. If you go long, it just goes way, way, way down a hill. Another blind tee shot on the short 12th. Dramatic downhill par 3. I think that's the 14th hole. I'm telling just bangs and bangs and bangs and looking back and describing it. I'm, I'm amazed how many of the holes actually play downhill. Usually, you know, you kind of get the downhill part out of the way quick and a lot of the course can feel uphill, but the uphill climbs are just subtle enough. Uh, you know, aside from the, the 9th and 18th, are pretty severely uphill, but the rest of them just had this subtle kind of build back up. 17th hole is really, really cool too. So this is the course maybe I suggest you to go look at pictures at the most. You got a great website. A lot of these courses have surprisingly really good websites. So uh, St. George's Hill, highest recommendation possible if you're in the area. Uh, second time there and it somehow got even better the second time around. Uh, again, weather and how I played definitely had something to do with it, but um, it was oh, it's awesome. That was the best way to end the trip in that uh, I couldn't got much better, and the bad part is I walked off that just wanting to play more and more golf despite playing 36 holes that day. Uh, the prices are not listed on their website. Only course here that doesn't have the prices listed, at least I couldn't find it. I'd imagine they're in the high 100s to low 200s range, probably commiserate with Sunningdale, Walton Heath, it's every bit the quality of those golf courses. So, And that's it. I didn't get to play Swinley Forest, which is maybe in my top five courses in the world that I'm dying to play. I'm somewhat bummed. I was somewhat bummed at the time, but man, I don't know what I would have subbed out because I had such an enjoyable time at all of these courses. I love this leg of the trip so much. I thought, you know, that first seven, you know, couldn't get any better than that, but Heathland Golf somehow topped it. It's just this perfect blend of Lynx and Parkland. Makes me really wish that there was more sandy soil like this in parts of the U.S., also really makes me wish that uh, I spent a summer at some point in my life living in Southwest uh, England and just bounced around playing these golf courses because it doesn't get any better than this. So uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thanks to everybody that helped make the trip happen uh, for all the people that reached out. And really, it, it just blows my mind every time I go to England, how many uh, English listeners and, and uh, followers we have. So uh, people were really, for some reason, psyched to hear what I thought of the golf courses and uh, if you're one of those people that tuned in, really appreciate that. And everyone that always reaches out with recommendations and suggestions, it's, I know we make fun of uh, itinerary guy that slides in, uh, critiquing our itineraries a lot, but it really is appreciated and uh, helps us learn about these places. We definitely are not know-it-alls. We are learning course by course and step by step, but to English golf fans anywhere out there or just English golfers, I have such an appreciation for the game in your country and the way you guys do it and uh, the kindness everyone showed along the way. It doesn't have the same marketing push as Scotland and Ireland does, but English golf is just as tremendous. It really is. And uh, I'll say it, you guys are freaking spoiled, man. You guys have no idea how good you have at uh, playing all those golf courses uh, on a weekly basis that you get to play. And uh, there's a lot more that we haven't uncovered yet. And we know that I just, we just got to find the time to get over there. So, 